Has your mental health ever suffered at the hands of the Green Bay Packers? Then this is the show for you. Welcome to Today in Town, the safest space for Packers fans. My name is Griffin. You can follow me on Instagram at AllDayPackers, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Braun, who you can follow on Instagram at Lambo.Leapers. And we are coming back to you after week two of the NFL season, the Packers get their first loss of the year. Last week, they got their first win of the year over the Chicago Bears. Felt great. It was fun. It was a blowout. This week, we get the other side of that coin, huh? Bron, how are you doing? Well, Griff, a a surprising outcome if you think about how well things were going at the start of the fourth quarter. To be up 24-12 to in that quarter, you're thinking you're going to come out with a victory, but disappointing. Obviously, we'll get into what all happened and why the game ended the way it did, but Overall disappointed in the outcome, but it will be a learning experience for everybody involved. Obviously, a lot of miscues in that game that we'll get into as well, but definitely it's tough to lose an opportunity to get a win, be 2-0, and the only team in the division at that point if we were to get that win to be undefeated so far. So a lot to, to talk about for sure, but not very happy with that outcome. Yeah, I can handle losing, but it's the losses like Sunday's loss to the Falcons that really sting and just leave a bitter taste in your mouth. It's the ones that, like, it's so tight, and we were clearly the better team for three quarters, but that's how it is in the NFL. You play one bad quarter, and a team comes back from 24 to 12 to win, which is what the Atlanta Falcons did to the Packers on Sunday. But before we get into everything, we have to remind you that we have an email that you can send in your takes to and send in your questions if you want to get featured on the show. We have a great email to get into later, but we want to remind you that you can get featured on this show by sending us in your takes or your questions through the email at todayintitletown at gmail.com. We have also set up another voicemail for listeners to call in. If you're a longtime listener, last year you might remember we did that. We did the Packers therapy episodes after each loss of the season, which there were plenty in 2022. But that has returned. It's a different number. The number is 920 412 7997. That is really a great phone number because it's 920. That's the Green Bay area code. We got 412-412. That's Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. And then 7997, Dennis Kelly, Kenny Clark. Four Packers legends and one phone number. It's a great number. Call that number. Leave a voicemail, get featured on the show. Okay, Bron, let's get into this game. We have to start with the first three quarters because the first three quarters were, like I said, they were excellent. The Packers were moving the ball on offense. They were running the ball well enough. They were running the play-action game to perfection. People were getting open. Jordan Love was being a great facilitator. The defense, they were giving up yards on the ground. In the first half, they allowed over five yards per carry, mostly to Bijan Robinson. But it didn't really matter why, because Desmond Ritter is a low-tier quarterback, couldn't really throw the ball. There were guys who were open, but he couldn't really throw it to them, especially with the pressure that we were getting on the defensive line. So what happened in the fourth quarter? Well, pretty much all of that became false. Everything I just said, everything that was going well in the first three quarters stopped going well. And actually, all of those position groups started to play poorly. The defensive line couldn't get pressure. The defensive line couldn't fit their run gaps. And the offense stopped moving the ball. In the fourth quarter, Jordan Love went 0 for 6. We didn't get a single first down outside of one penalty. Let, exactly. Let's talk about that final drive because that was... I mean, Are we starting me, with the final like, drive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. Say, I mean, because that's the biggest part of the game. I think it was very. I just thought when that when that drive was about to start, I thought this was a big moment for Jordan. I was thinking that this was going to be like where he shows that he's going to do this. It felt like one of those times where he flashes elite talent, elite ability, 
and it makes you feel like he's truly going to be the building block of the organization moving forward if he can help lead this this team to a victory. After it felt like it could have been getting down. An, icon- an iconic moment in Jordan Love's career. I yes, agree. it felt like that. It felt like one of those moments that Aaron had early against Dallas when they came back and won that game. I mean, those things are meaningful to the history, the arc of a career, and and how Jordan can continue to build and build. But this was definitely, I would say, a lower point for him and for the organization. Because so when that drive starts, Griff, you could probably detail it a little better, but just to to not gain a single yard when all you needed was three points and you had plenty of time to do so, very disappointing to not move the ball at all. And he was off target. He made poor decisions on these plays. So I, I just was not happy with the way that he kind of he looked calm and cool in the moment, but then when the play started, you know, in the huddle he looked calm. Everybody looked like they were getting the play in at a proper you know speed, and and the execution just wasn't there. He looked he looked frazzled. He he looked lost, and that was very surprising because I feel like that's the total opposite of everything else he's done for the seven quarters prior to that to that point. So just very strange uh, way to end the game. The moment got to him a little bit. He was off target, like I said, and the decision-making was poor. So not encouraged by that. I really wish we could have had one of those building block foundational moments for, for a great career. But instead, it's a learning moment. It's a, an experience that he's going to have to gather information from and try to be better for the next time this comes around because it probably won't be too long until he's going to have another shot at one of these moments. So this one was definitely a learning experience, but moving forward, hopefully... He'll learn from it, and we'll get it done next time. The optimistic outlook is certainly that this can be a learning experience for Jordan Love, a learning experience for the offense, a learning experience for him as a leader, because when he comes into that game, he had two opportunities, really. That was just ugly. That was the first possession. We're up by two points. It's 24 to 22. There is about six six minutes left in the game. We're thinking, okay, they've been scoring on their past few possessions in the second half. We got to get back in the end zone as an offense because we haven't been moving the ball and we go three and out twice the first possession featured a uh, oh my god a headache inducing series of plays on second and five third and one and then fourth and one. Second and five aj dylan gets a four yard carry of course he's allergic to these sticks as we uh as we often discuss uh third and one give it to aj dylan your huge running back he falls over for the eighth time in the game, and uh, it's a it's a zero yard rush for AJ Dillon. Not I to mean, mention that Royce turf Newman. turf doesn't help certainly, but it seems to the affect turf him doesn't more help. Than anybody. His left guard doesn't help. Royce Newman trying to reach up to a linebacker can't get there. Tackle for no gain. Okay, fourth and one. What do we do? QB sneak, right? Obviously, except Jordan Love happens to give the wrong live word. He said, so no one else on the field knows it's a quarterback sneak. Except the defense did. I'm sure they were prepared for it, but our offense wasn't. Then he stumbles forward in what is maybe the funniest play I've ever seen. That was brutal. Brutal, brutal sequence all Dude, around. It's a, not just it on is love. A good thing. It's a good thing that he's got six touchdowns and no picks, because if he was playing poorly and that happened, that would be the most viral clip in America today. Mm, it would. So. It's already gone semi-viral. Semi-viral, but... We yeah, certainly if he helped was, in that regard, but if he does, if he didn't have the numbers, that would be a, 
a lot more seen, I imagine. And then let's get to the the last drive of the fourth quarter. Our last, we are now losing by one point. We get the ball back with under a minute left, 57 seconds, and all we need is a field goal. One point game. Jordan Love incomplete to Jaden Reed. Jordan Love incomplete to Jaden Reed. Jordan Love incomplete to Romeo Dobbs, and then incomplete to Samari Torre after review. The Packers can't gain one yard. They can't gain one yard. It, it felt like Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. I have to say that just because people would get mad at me if I didn't say that. It felt like Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. We need one point. We can't get one yard. Just ugly, man. Yeah, I mean, it's such a weird... things. The way that the game changed and evolved as the game went on, just such a strange way to, to see it unfold after it felt like we were moving the ball really well. Especially in the passing game, like I wasn't, I was happy with the way things were going. Jordan making good throws, good decisions, those are the things that encourage you. And then the running game was good enough. I mean, AJ Dillon had not much, but even Emmanuel Wilson was making a couple plays. Like they weren't, it wasn't terrible, but they were moving the ball well enough, and they were scoring enough points. You know, even whether it was hitting a field goal or Jordan's touchdowns, it was. We were in a good spot. It wasn't perfect, but we were in a good spot. Especially with the way that Atlanta was running the football, that got worse as we went, but I was just overall pretty happy up until then things started to unravel. We just could not put a drive together. We couldn't put points on the board in any capacity. And then when you let them creep back like that and all of a sudden take the lead, that drive is kind of that moment where we kind of have to right the ship and, and just get that field goal and we're walking away with a win in a game that we should have controlled the entire way and not just the first three quarters. We have to talk about Jordan Love as a quarterback through two weeks of the season. I came into this year saying that I think Jordan Love's ceiling is being a really good game manager. I think there are going to be years where he could be a tier two quarterback and he could have he could put together some really good seasons. And I think a team, maybe the Packers, could win a Super Bowl with him as their quarterback. But I still think he is a game manager. And, Braun, what do we say about game managers? They don't lose you games, but they're not going to win you games. It's weird, Griff, because he's supposed to have developed already, but he is showing flashes of, like, really good throws or, like, he looks good. Again, I love the way he looks throwing the ball. The ball's coming out well. He's just missing those important ones. That's something Aaron never used to do, especially at this stage of his career, like, Jordan being in, it seems like he should be getting to a point where he's like peaking as a thrower. And those the accuracy issues become a problem, especially when it happens late and when the lights come on in the brightest way. So it, it's tough to say. Like, we just have to see how it unfolds. It's hard to make any projections. But if he doesn't play any better, like, I, he needs to be better. He definitely needs to be better to reach anything close to like a top 10 quarterback level, which is the goal, obviously. We need that at some point. That's, that's part of what we do in trying to develop a quarterback by picking him in the first round when you already have the best one on the planet. So <laughs> you expect him to be a top 10 guy in the near future like Aaron quickly became. So when, when we're seeing things like this, I'm happy with some of the flashes, but we have to hope that he actually progresses in that way and it can't just be that this is his ceiling. In the first three quarters, he looked like a really good quarterback. He looked like a really good facilitator, a really great, a really great distributor. He was playing such he was playing his style of football, his style of quarterbacking in the best way. Throws were hitting their guys in the chest in the short to intermediate range. He threw a really pretty ball, the wicks in the back of the end zone that was unfortunately broken up. He was f- showing some special, playing within the offense, playing within structure, hitting the open guy, which is easier said than done. 
he was distributing really well before the fourth quarter. But when you have a mid-tier quarterback, this is life with a mid-tier quarterback as of right now. When guys stop getting open, when guys stop making plays, he's just not at the level quite yet where we can rely on him to go down the field and win us a football game. Guys aren't separating. Guess what? Make a throw. Make a tight window throw. Do something with your legs. Do something. Move the chains. Move the ball. And he's not at the point yet where he can do that. So if we're going to be successful as a team with Jordan Love as our quarterback, especially speaking on this season, things have just got to be working how they were the first three quarters. We can't have meltdowns like we did in the fourth quarter. The defense has got to be playing tight football. They've got to be tackling better than they did against the Falcons. They've got to be holding teams to field goals, making teams punt. We can't be giving up easy yardage to Bijan out of the backfield with no one covering him, even though he's their best offensive player. We can't be doing these silly things because we don't have Rodgers at quarterback. We don't have an MVP at quarterback who can put the team on his back and carry us out of a hole and win the game. We definitely don't, Griff, so the options are slim, really. There's not many options when you have to make a play. Like, we used to have Aaron and and Devontae, and it would be a lot easier. And then you look at what we do now, and there's not the go-to guy, especially without Christian out there, and he's even so young, and he has a lot of room to grow. Jordan isn't at that point. We hope he gets to that point. Um, but like to me, we just saw that he's not there. There was a chance to find out that he might be there, um, but it didn't happen. So it's it's now pretty clear that he's got work to do in that area. And I guess that's okay. We're, we're developing as a program right now, as an organization. This is a certainly a transition period with the youth that we have and the new talent. So there's expected certainly a grace period with that, but in the same vein, like, we are expecting greatness every time we step out on the field as an organization, just based on the way we operated here by picking him in the first round, again, with the best to ever do it. I, I mean, there's there's certainly an expectation to be good. We can't just keep babying the idea of, of Jordan and letting him develop and develop. Certainly, I would like to see more of what he's been doing well. But to me, that is a game that you can't lose. And so me, this was a step back for the team that I thought we would potentially be. This was a very big loss. This was one of those that is going to be looked back on if we if we are able to gather some wins like and get into a mid-range potential playoff area. Like When you have eight wins versus nine, that's playoffs or not. And, and it didn't always used to be that way, but that's what it is. So uh, we have to be better. And it, I hope that we can quickly learn from this and start stringing wins together but we have a tough test coming up against the Saints who are 2-0 and with a, a solid quarterback and weapons all over the field in the passing game and the defense is incredible as well so it's going to be a challenge on both sides of the ball if these if these losses start to pile up things could get ugly quickly for this Packers team. Certainly. And before we move off the conversation surrounding Jordan Love I just did want to highlight because I, I went through the last two drives for this offense but the, the meltdown really started on the drive before that, the offensive drive before that, because in the fourth quarter, if you remember, we end the third quarter with that second Jaden Reed touchdown where he hits the flat, no one's covering him, 10 yards, he dances, it's beautiful. We're up 24 to 12. Then the Falcons roll down the field, Desmond Ritter runs it in for a touchdown, Rashawn Gary's put on ice, Rasul can't make the tackle, touchdown, it's 24 to 19. We get the ball back, okay, let's respond, and this is where the meltdown starts, because we go incomplete, to Dontavian Wicks, A.J. Dillon for two yards, and then the worst throw of Jordan's season, one of the worst throws I've seen Jordan make, 
ever, maybe. Um, the, he throws a hitch to Malik Heath, who does not, the, the ball does not contact Malik Heath. The ball actually hits AJ Terrell, the Falcons defender, right in the chest. Wow. After, this is ah, such a different the, team, Griff. This is such. The I mean, one I'm thing I wouldn't expect out guys. of love from no, the, I, the 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 six quarters that I'd seen so far, the seven quarters that I'd seen you? at that point. The one thing I wouldn't expect on third and eight in a one-score game with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter is for him to throw a hitch route to Malik Heath, who's guarded by their best player. That should. And the worst thing call. about this play is the worst thing about that play is first of all the play call is just it, there's four hitches, which I hate that play call. I don't like it on third and eight. I don't like it based on the success that they've had in the play action game. It's a one, I don't like it's the play a one read play, Griff. Like because if you go to the second read and he ran a hitch, he's already done. There's nothing there. It's like yeah, a you've waste. got to get the ball out on time, and he predetermines his throw. He's looking at Malik Heath, which. Based on the field formation, I kind of get it because he's over there by himself. But still, he's going against A.J. Terrell. That's not a matchup I like. And then not to mention the three other hitches on the field, they all run to the sticks because it's third and eight. You got to it's third down. You got to get a first down. You got to run your route to the sticks. That's what you're supposed to do. The one guy who doesn't is Malik Heath. He actually cuts off his hitch. He breaks it at about five yards. And uh, yeah. Don't like that decision. Even if it was caught, it would have been short of the first down. Just ugly football. Jordan's worst throw as a... Uh, from what I've seen, that's his worst throw as a professional. Not great when you need one there, too, on third and eight. Not not the spot you want to see his worst throw come out. And then didn't get much better, you know. It did not get much better as that quarter went on and as the game went on. Uh, the throws were just a little less accurate every time. And like I, like we talked about on that last drive didn't go well so uh it just no. there's got to be better it's got to be better now i will say that obviously it does this even need to be said obviously it's jordan's second game of the season i'm not saying he's gonna fail but i do think that people are a little bit higher on him in general than they should be and if you are one of those people if you think jordan love has been the best quarterback in the league this season he has the best passer rating in the league so maybe maybe there's an argument if you think he's been the best quarterback in the league if you think he's been elite better than rogers last year please email us please call in leave a voicemail because i again i just see so much of this on twitter and i'm not understanding it i'm not understanding the things i see on instagram I like Jordan, and I think he can be a long-term starter for this team. And when guys are getting open, when guys are making plays, he can run a really good-looking offense. And we can win with that at quarterback, given the contract that he's on, how inexpensive that contract is. But all this to say, I think Jordan has been very good, but he is not there as an elite quarterback yet. And that passer rating is just a tad bit misleading, I'd say. Okay, let's switch gears. AJ Dillon, I mentioned, I I would like to talk about him because obviously Aaron Jones injures his hamstring on a touchdown last week in Chicago. He can't go today. So AJ Dillon is the number one option out of the backfield. And boy, we're, boy, man, this fan base has really turned on AJ Dillon. And it confuses me a little bit because this is the player that he's always been. This is kind of, this has always been him. He gets what he's given by the blocking. He'll get some yards during contact, but he's not making guys miss. He falls over a lot. He's not even particularly great in short yardage situations, and he's a wonderful human being. I mean, this is what we've always known about A.J. Dillon. I don't know why all of a sudden everyone's turning on him. 
No, Griff, it doesn't. I mean, we were saying that all of last year. I don't. We, I mean, you get flack for saying that because he's the mayor of Door County and whatnot. But at the same time, <laughs> as a football player, <laughs> no. But as as I mean, as a football player, when he's like falling down at first touch, I mean, and I'm talking about when he touches the football, not even first contact of a defender. Like it's just not pretty. So I don't know. I. I feel bad. Like, look, again, we say this every single episode, but he was on our show. We were his first interview as a rookie. I love him as a person, but just not good enough so far. I mean, to literally... Not good enough. He was never worth a second-round pick, which is a move that still haunts me, and he's he's just an average NFL running back. I don't know what people expected out of him. Two weeks in, Griff, he's averaging 2.6 yards per carry. It's still only two weeks, but that's oh certainly... Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's not, a, not a good start. 2.6? Oh, it's not man. a good start, Griff. So, And again, comparing that to what he did in 2020 as a rookie, 5.3 yards per carry. That's... I mean, he's got to do what he... I don't know what happened. What is it? Like, is it a wear and tear thing? He's not as... He's not as aggressive of a runner as he used to be. He's never been very fluid. He's never had the elusiveness that you want out of a top running back. He's obviously very heavy. He's very large. His center of gravity feels like it's off a bit at times. I mean, the third and one that I talked about earlier, it's it's not a giant hole, and he's not going to get very many yards, but he can certainly get one yard. He can meet the linebacker at the point of attack and just fall forward for probably three yards. But he I don't think teams are scared to tackle touched. him anymore. I really don't think teams are scared to tackle him anymore. To be honest, I just I think that was a big thing as he came into the league, and even as he rushed really well at the beginning, that starts to compound. Like teams are you, defenders get scared to throw their bodies. Like we're talking about even linebackers, not just corners and safeties, but linebackers don't want to get embarrassed and don't want to be missing tackles. So guys are gonna shy away from trying to run over a bulldozer like A.J. Dillon can be. But now he's just been so easy to bring down for whatever reason comparatively to what it looked like in his rookie season and even 2021 and all that. It just became, it's become an issue for him now that he's just falling. At first contact, defenders are bringing him down rather quickly. And it's it's a problem for the offense, especially if Aaron Jones is going to continue to be out with, with the hamstring he's dealing with. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to move the conversation because I don't like harping on A.J. Dillon. It feels like we do it every week for like two years now. Um, and he's such a wonderful human being that I don't like doing it. So let's move on to another one of the biggest talking points coming out of this game, which would be our left tackle, if you can even call him a starter anymore. Is he our starting left tackle at this point? I don't know. He uh, David Bakhtiari sits out. Oh my, Braun, where do we even start with this? So it, it really starts with Rogers' injury. We all assume it starts with Rogers' injury last Monday night at MetLife in New York, where Rogers tears his Achilles. David Bakhtiari takes to Twitter, posting about the uh, the the playing field surfaces. He the the NFLPA is not a fan of the turf because they have numbers that show that more injuries happen on turf than on grass. So David Bakhtiari, we've known this. He's not a big fan of the turf fields. So. Where are the Packers playing? They're playing in Atlanta, which is home to a turf football field. Davey Bakhtiari, questionable all week, just like always. Matt LaFleur said it's always going to be like that. And guess what? He can't play. Now, he played fine last week. There was really no issues. He was questionable, but he did play, and he played well. And then all of a sudden, he can't go when we're playing in Atlanta on a turf field. 
Ron, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like you said, I think it definitely has to do with a Rogers injury, but also b David's probably how he feels on the surface. Uh, I'm sure he's just not happy with his footing, and part of me does consider the fact that he's really one knee injury away from he's done. So I, I'm sure he's considering that when he's making this kind of decision. If he gets hurt on that same knee again, his career is certainly, I would say, it's over which is a scary thing for him, I'm sure. So when you consider all that, I understand where he's coming from. But also, we do need him, obviously. He's our best player on offense, and he's an all-pro, and he plays like an all-pro when he's in there. But it's tough to... I can't really say anything about it other than we need him out there, and it would be really great if he did play. But I also don't buy that he actually has any sort of swelling other than maybe... You know, the fluid thing is is probably a reality, but I, I feel like that's something he'll deal with forever, and he'll probably play through all that. But and he has to this to this point. I just don't think that you know Matt Lafleur is trying to not talk about this issue and saying things you know non definitive descriptions about what the injury that David has. It's just all very concerning, but. Um, I would hope that he's out there this week and, uh, and then every week moving forward. But if not, if he's going to do this where he sits out these turf games, partly because he wants the turf to be gone, and he's probably the biggest proponent of that in the entire National Football League among the players. Aaron, I'm sure he's been a part of that, but now I'm sure Aaron is right up there with him. So, uh, But there are four more turf games on our schedule, so that's not great when you're trying to win games and you're going to have your left tackle sitting out. So hopefully this was just an injury. Um, But if not, then if he sits out the next turf game, then it's going to start to become an obvious, an obvious thing. Yeah, then then we have a problem. Now I get why people were frustrated at the thought, at the assumption that he's not playing because it's a turf field. I get that. You don't want your starting left tackle to pick and choose when he plays, and he's not going to play on turf when so many stadiums in the NFL have turf fields. Why are you even in in, in the NFL at that point? I get that, but. I don't know. It never really bothered me. I mean, certainly, I've been frustrated by Bakhtiari's knee injury over the past three years. All the times that we thought he was going to come back and then he wasn't ready yet. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. That happens. You're torn ACL, you get surgery done, and then you get aggravations, and then things take longer than they should. That just happens. It's frustrating. But but this week, I wasn't really bothered by him not playing because, like Braun said, he is he's one aggravation away from never playing football again, possibly. Turf fields are shown to be more dangerous than grass, especially this t- this kind of turf field. I I'm not a I'm not a turf expert, but I did see something about how Atlanta has the same playing surface turf-wise as MetLife, which is known for being the worst uh, playing surface in the NFL. So turf fields are shown to be more dangerous, and it is literally week two. We've got two home games coming up. I don't know. It didn't really bother me. We've got great depth at tackle with Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman. And I mean, Bakhtiari, he's he's probably not going to be on this team for very much longer anyway. I've been kind of annoyed with his attitude this offseason. We didn't record this summer, so never got those on air. But um, he's not really playing it like he's trying to win a, uh, a championship. That's That's, I guess, where I'm most annoyed. Just his general attitude feels like he's 
getting a paycheck. He's doing his job. He probably he's doesn't think we and, can win a championship, which... I mean, clearly I mean, he doesn't think that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Like, Did you hear his comments I mean, yeah, this then, summer? So, I mean, when you uh, when you put that... Thought, like, when he's thinking, okay, we're not winning a Super Bowl this year, I mean, what he's, he's really not fighting for that anymore, obviously, in this year at least, so that's just the nature of his thought process and it makes it makes a lot less urgent the necessity for him to probably want to go out there and play if he's risking his career every time he steps on turf in his eyes i i do love david i i don't want to see him leave or anything i think he's a valuable player to our football team like i don't i'm not annoyed with him as good as he ever was yeah i'm not annoyed with him even i i just I, I love the guy. I think he's incredible as a football player, and he's a leader, and he's done a lot of great things for us, and he's been a part of some of the best teams we've had in Green Bay. So I'm not gonna bash him. I don't. I don't really hate that decision for him, but I also, it's it's interesting. I mean, he clearly doesn't think we're winning a Super Bowl, and then now to sit out games, and I mean, it's I don't know. It's certainly interesting. It's just. Weird, uh, weird to see it in the NFL, but there's there's reasoning behind it. You have to. I feel like you can only respect it. There's a lot of people that are really, really angry about it. I, I mean, like you said, the depth at tackle we have. Yash being like on the bench right now. We still have Tom out there. Yash Elton, is good enough. If Rashid Elton was healthy, good enough. If Elton was healthy, he can swing out there too. I mean, there's just a lot of options. I I don't hate what happened. And I'm glad he's going to, you know, whether he's actually hurt right now or if he's healthy, I, I I think he'll be okay for us, and I expect him to come out and play. But it's, I mean, that's certainly, again, when we talk about his thought process and thinking that we're probably not going to win a Super Bowl, it is, it's strange in this in this city to, uh, to see no, something No, it's like weird that. to see that in the NFL, an NFL player who's just so openly, he went on a podcast and said, yeah, well, look at the Packers. They're rebuilding, probably not going to win Super Bowl this year. It's like, I've never seen a player talk about their team like they don't play for them anymore. He was talking like he's on a FS1 show, you know? It was so strange. Like, bro, you play for that team. You got OTAs next week. You got to be in that locker room. And he says they like he's not a huge part of what they do. I know. It's like, dude, you're the best player on that team. (laughs) I don't Um, think they're going to be very good. The left side of the offensive line has a lot of problems right now. Elton Jenkins leaves the game in the first half with a uh, sprained MCL. So he's going to be out for a little while, which means, I mean, obviously that's awful news. More Royce Newman. That's good news for everybody. Don't like him being on the field. I've been uh, grading the, uh, the Packers through two weeks so far. And uh, Royce Newman was my lowest graded player on either side of the ball. So I don't like, we said this before week one, this team, <laughs> this season will be a disaster if Royce Newman has to see the field. Well, it looks like he's got himself a starting spot. I guess we'll see about <laughs> that. But Elton Jenkins hoping for a speedy recovery there. We'll see if they put him on IR or not. But um, the offensive line, I mean, what what can you say? Zach Tom had another really good showing. Rasheed Walker didn't really impress me. Gave up a couple pressures, but um, he played well enough. Wasn't a total disaster, which it, it could have been for a second-year, seventh-round pick. Um, Josh Nyman, we know what the type of player he is. Josh Myers, John Runyon, yeah, can't really run block, pass protect okay. Yeah, it was basically what we expect to see out of this offensive line. 
We also got what we have come to expect out of the Green Bay Packers defense, coordinated by Joe Barry. That being a complete meltdown and not being able to get off the field over and over and over again, primarily on the ground. It was a rough one to watch on defense. Braun, I mean, what can you even say here, man? Yeah, just not our best performance. Not Our, our best players didn't do a great job at times. Jair didn't have a great game. That was evident when you're just watching on TV. It's not hard to tell that he was getting beat a little bit by Drake London at times. And, you know, he can have one bad game once in a while after he has lockdown performances week after week after week. So I'm not concerned about him. But in terms of the run defense as a whole, that was concerning. Even though Bijan Robinson, super talented player, very good, obviously. We all know that, and he's made that very clear in these first two weeks, even as a rookie. Again, even as a rookie. But we got gashed. We truly did. The pass rush was not great either. I felt like the pass rush was slowed down from compared to last week and all those things you tie all that together it makes it harder to play complementary football even when you're just looking at the complement of the pass rush making it harder on the quarterback and that pass rush making it easier on the secondary and all of those things combined just not a great effort and I don't know what it was. It started out great to get that interception, Rasul. I mean, things were looking good pretty early. And then, again, I was thinking that this defense is going to be the the leader of of a great football team and and why we win games. And and it it didn't help that we let them come back in and the offense kind of fell apart at the same time. That's That's how you lose football games is when you have two of your three units playing really bad football at the same time. That's, to me, how you the lose The opposite games. of complementary football, yeah, whatever you want to call that. Whatever you want to call that. I'm, I'm no words expert, but that's certainly a word that we might have to invent if it doesn't exist. <laughs> they only forced one punt against Desmond Ritter. I don't care who else is Uncomplimentary? around them. Against... Wow, I think that's it. <laughs> that, <laughs> that might be it. But we only forced one punt against Desmond Ritter. I mean, I don't care if they have Bijan Robinson, Adrian Peterson, Calvin Johnson. You gotta force more than Desmond one. Desmond Ritter punt. is the name of a Gen Z child. How is he scoring touchdowns against us? And somehow he looks like he's thirty-five. He's been in the league two years, and he looks like he's he could be president of the United States. That was surprising <laughs> when he took off his helmet. I didn't know he was. I didn't know he looked like that. But he's um, undefeated. Yeah, at I home. mean, they're undefeated <laughs> when he's playing at home. Wow. That's crazy. He played a bad game. He really yeah, did. He's not he had great. a couple nice throws, but overall he played a really tough game. But guess what? It didn't matter at all because the Falcons were running the ball with ease. Now, a lot of people overreact when we have really bad days in run defense because fundamentally, f- philosophically, I don't hate the mindset of, well, we'd rather them run on us than throw on us. Because that was kind of the story of the game until the fourth quarter. They were running the ball well over five yards per carry. They were moving the football. They were getting into the red zone. But we were holding them to field goals. And we were scoring and points. E- and we were scoring points. The best defense is a good offense, so it didn't even matter how well they were moving the ball. And then we get to the fourth quarter. We stop scoring points. They score a touchdown, and they still kick two field goals. So I don't want to say it was a complete meltdown. They only gave up 25 points, and they held them to field goals more often than not. But what I will say is that whenever we get down to the fourth quarter in crunch time, 
it happened against the Lions, it happened against the 49ers, it happened several times throughout these regular seasons with Joe Barry as our defensive coordinator. When we get to crunch time and the opposing offense has got to have it, I have no faith whatsoever in this team because it always ends up in Joe Barry getting out-schemed. And I've seen, I've seen the opinions and I've seen the takes, but I'm just telling you what I see on the field every single year. Joe Barry gets out-schemed consistently, especially in the fourth quarters of tight games. We get to crunch time and our defense crunches in the worst way. I mean, it is ugly. They do. And it looks bad. You can visibly see it on the TV when you're watching that bad things are about to happen just based on the alignment. And it's not, it's not pretty because it, it's continued to be a problem. And now we're sitting here after a, an episode that we just watched of the Joe Barry show. And it was just another sad one for sure. It was. Now I just I want to I want to counter against some arguments that I've I've seen because it feels like this time around more people are coming out to defend Joe Barry for some weird reason. But it feels like I've seen a lot more takes of people being like, "Well, Joe Barry should have caught this interception." Like, yeah, I get it. Jair should have took that one to the house. Quay should have picked that one off. There was a lot of missed opportunities Those by the players on bad. the field. Those were very and bad. There were. And there were plenty of plays, for example, Bijan Robinson releasing to the flat, no one following him. Who's that on? Oh, it's on Quay Walker. Well, Joe, Joe Barry has no control over Quay Walker missing his assignment. I disagree. I think he does. We know these guys are talented. Why are they out of position so often? And the worst part is that I have no faith in this defense to close out a game when it matters late in the fourth quarter in a one-score game. It always feels like the opposing offense, whoever's calling plays for the opposing offense, they always have Joe Barry's number. Griff, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, I probably could have, but that's why I let you keep going because it was a shining moment for you. Anyway, I why don't that. you show us? Why don't you show us this email you mentioned earlier? Because I'm interested. Yeah, I did mention an email, and we got one coming from Jack Morin. He has submitted an email before. Again, if you'd like to email, you can email us today in Titletown at gmail.com or call the number 920-412-7997. All right, here we go. Jack Morin says. First off, I'm a grateful Packers fan. We've had two quarterback Hall of Fame legends the past 30 years, and our newest quarterback has thrown six touchdowns, no picks in the last two games. What I finally realized the past two games, and I can't believe I haven't before as it was so obvious, is that our head coach is nothing but a glorified offensive coordinator. He can be an elite offensive coordinator in this league anywhere, but you still don't see much discipline from him running this Green Bay squad. We have spent practically a decade selecting a defensive player with our first round pick, yet our defense pulls a 12-point lead late in the game against Atlanta. I blame LaFleur because he keeps sticking with Joe Barry. There are defensive minds in this league that you would kill to have on our personnel. Our defense is great, it just lacks leadership. Also, year five and Matt LaFleur is still letting the play clock expire on a field goal try. Yeah, that was really ugly. I agree, Jack. He's a brilliant offensive mind, don't get me wrong. I just think he lacks those crucial traits great head coaches have had. With that said, that Lombardi trophy is handed out in February, not September. Go Pack Go. I'm hoping I'm wrong here. Well, Jack, I think you represent a sentiment that is very popular in this fan base currently. I mean, not, not super popular, but I have seen more people coming for Matt LaFleur after this week than uh, I have seen too many times in the past. Bron, what are your thoughts on that email? Yeah, I, my first thought was that it was interesting that he thinks Matt LaFleur could be an elite offensive coordinator anywhere because he was never an elite offensive coordinator before he got hired in Green Bay. So, I mean, the numbers would show that. And uh, he well. clearly got hired for other reasons. But 
I don't know. Yeah, as a as a coach, he has brought a lot to what we do and a lot to what Aaron did for us. In the four years that that partnership was together, it was very fruitful other than when it came down to a Super Bowl. But to go to NFC Championship after NFC Championship and you know, playoffs after playoffs is hard to do. So I, I think it can't go unsaid that we've had a lot of success with him as the head coach. And I would say also to start out the way we did where we play seven quarters of really good football on the offensive side, that is really encouraging when you're trying to separate what Aaron Rodgers was for the Packers and now what the Packers are like without Aaron Rodgers. The fact that they were still able to continue to have success is encouraging for what he brings to the table as the head coach. So I'm still, the jury's going to be out on Matt LaFleur until he gives us a reason to to say that he's not capable of, of leading this team. But I feel like he's done a great job so far with this group of guys. I think just disappointing, obviously, that, that last game. The miscues were a problem, but I like where we're headed, and I think he can be a big reason as to why we can get better. But the, then you question, well, why did they bring back Joe Barry if they're trying to rebuild, and then why bring him back if we're trying to win? Because... Those you know, there's two arguments to be made that we're in a rebuild and that we're trying to win, and it doesn't make sense to bring back Joe Barry at the time for either of those situations as an organization. So I'm I'm not sure again what the thought process was, but we are here with it now, and everything goes back to him. So it's certainly an argument for sure to say that he deserves some blame for the way that the defense is played. Yeah, he deserves blame because he's repeatedly bringing back Joe Barry after ending seasons, ending games like this where he just looks so frustrated in the defense, looks frustrated in the defensive coaching. He, he looks it. He doesn't say it, but he, he certainly looks it. So it's interesting that he keeps being, bringing Barry back. It's a lot like Mike McCarthy with Dom Capers. Just, why don't you fire this guy? Why don't you get a new guy on your staff? Like, what are you losing? I, I feel like McCarthy would have won more Super Bowls. At least one more, I think, if Dom Capers wasn't the defensive coordinator until 2017. 2018 was our first year with someone other than Dom Capers at D.C. Isn't that kind of crazy? Um, but Matt LaFleur, I haven't quite turned on him yet. I still like him as a coach. I love him as a play caller. I love him as an offensive mind. I love the branch of offense that we run. I love the coaching tree. I love Matt. Can I really imagine him leading a group of men in the locker room, especially after a tough loss like this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what are we even what are we even judging on? But I like Matt. I think he represents the Packers franchise well. I think he's a great play caller. Judging by the first seven quarters of the Packers season this year, I mean, he he is the reason that we've had success, I think, more than anyone. Because guys are getting open, but he is marrying the run in the past, just like he said he was going to do in 2019. That's coming back here. It's the Matt LaFleur offense, as everyone says with Jordan Love, a quarterback he can mold like clay. I think it's a, I think it's a good offense. I like Matt. Tough losses happen. Miscues happen. Delay of games, they happen. I mean... <laughs> Jordan Love uh, is, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but he has been running the play clock down to zero quite often, Braun. Have you noticed that? Because I thought that was a Rodgers problem. Everyone told me that was a Rodgers problem. Well, when you learn from the best, I mean, the, the play clock thing, we've talked about it, Griff. I mean, that was always trying to get the most you could information-wise out of the defense before a play. 
not trying to, and that's most of the time, not trying to just you know have the clock run out. And I, and but in these cases, it's been with the delay of games that we've had in Green Bay so far in this season. It's been not that like those have they've been miscues. They've been like not paying attention. Uh, not having the right personnel out there, teams. not getting the play yeah, call in. I mean, like, disappointing, disappointing version of that for sure. Yeah, but to wrap it up, I like Matt, and and um, I don't think he's the uh, I don't think he's the biggest issue with the loss on Sunday. I don't think he's even close to being the biggest issue with this team right now. I like Matt. All right. So if you want your take featured on the show, email us at todayintitletown at gmail.com. Call us at 920-412-7997. But that's going to do it. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at todayintitletown. You can follow me on Instagram at alldaypackers. Braun is on Instagram at lambo.leapers. And we will be back after the Packers matchup with the New Orleans Saints, the home opener, first game at Lambeau Field of the year. Should be fun. Hopefully we see a win because I would feel uh, I'd feel a lot better if we were sitting here at two and zero, and we very well could be sitting at two and zero, which is the most frustrating thing. But that's in the past. Bury the tape. Never look at it again. Learn from it. Grow from it. And hopefully we'll see a much better team this Sunday. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, go pack go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Same time next week. <laughs>